This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Guys, we have a great show today with good friend of mine, Giannis Patelis. Giannis is now a producer of the Meat Eater TV show with uh, uh, another friend of the podcast, Stephen Ranella, and we're going to get some great insight into... Uh, some of the things that go on at the meat eater and and some of the behind the scenes things that uh, go on with each one of the shoots and and uh, it's always great talking to Giannis. Uh, Giannis actually used to guide with uh, Dar and I at Colburn and Scott Outfitters. Uh, he did a bunch of elk hunts uh, with us and um, I've known Giannis for many years. Uh, started out knowing him as a fly fishing guide in uh, the Vail, Colorado area, and uh, my wife and I have spent many a day. Uh, with Giannis on the oars uh, floating down the Eagle or the Roaring Fork or the Colorado and um, enjoying each other's company. Uh, Giannis is a phenomenal fisherman and is a great hunter and uh, all-around great guy and uh, he's been using his talents there uh, with Stephen Ranella at the Meat Eater and um, it's going to be a great episode. Um, Before we get into that guys I want to tell you about a couple of our sponsors uh, as you know, GoHunt.com forward slash insider is the title sponsor of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Uh, one of the things I want to say about uh, GoHunt.com is um, you want to unlock lock hunting in the West, you need to join Insider today. Get everything you need in one spot, complete state coverage, see detailed information for every unit, every species, every hunt. Inside the, the GoHunt.com Insider, you've got interactive maps. You can quickly find hunts that meet your exact search criteria and explore them easily. Uh, st- strategy articles, learn new things, and find hidden opportunities with exclusive articles uh, that are only uh, able to be received if you're a GoHunt.com Insider member. Uh, species breakdowns, top trophy units are hiding in plain sight. Find them with our statistics and historical data. Guys, also being a part of the GoHunt.com Insider, uh, you will receive monthly giveaways, and they roughly give away $100,000 per year. Uh, they just gave away a $22,500 valued uh, doll sheep hunt and the Hanny Butte Outfitters. Uh, they've given away th- uh, three uh, Red Rock Precision Rifles, uh, some high-quality binoculars, and um, I want to tell you that you have an opportunity to get a free $50 gift card when you sign up for GoHunt.com Insider, and the gift card is for Kuyu uh, gear, and Kuyu, as you know, is uh, uh, something that's dear to my heart. Uh, Dar and I have been wearing their gear for many years, and uh, we are a firm believer in Jason Harrison and his company at Kuyu. Uh, they provide the best quality products out there uh, for hunters. Uh, you can get this gift card uh, very simply by going to gohunt.com forward slash insider. Click the blue join now button and use the promo code JSCOTT at checkout and you'll receive that $50 uh, Kuyu gift card. 
I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider for their sponsorship of this podcast. Guys, I also want to tell you about uh, the other sponsor of this podcast, DeadeyeOutfitters.com. DeadeyeOutfitters.com is a lifestyle hunting apparel company for hunters by hunters. Check out episode 45 of this podcast with one of the owners and you will see what I mean. Deadeye Outfitters makes quality t-shirts, sweatshirts, and hats designed with hunters in mind. Deadeye Outfitters has the only license for creating Boone and Crockett apparel. Help support Boone and Crockett because where hunting happens, conservation happens. Use the J. Scott promo code and receive a 10% discount on all purchases at DeadeyeOutfitters.com. Guys, before we jump right into the episode with Giannis Batellis, I wanted to tell you about HuntToEat.com. That's H-U-N-T-T-O-Eat.com. Uh, this is Giannis and his brother's website, and they, they've made some uh, really cool t-shirts. And you've probably heard Stephen Ranella, if you listen to the Meat Eater podcast, you've probably heard uh, Ranella pitching these um, Hunt to Eat t-shirts. Uh, check them out at hunttoeat.com. There's some pretty cool stuff. There's elk bugling, a Colorado State flag uh, in the background. Uh, there's Hunt to Eat with the Colorado, Montana and Texas license plate. Uh, pretty neat shirts. And uh, guys, I wanted to tell you about uh, a promo code that Hunt to Eat is offering the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners. They're offering a 20% discount on all purchases. All you have to do is use J. Scott promo code. That's J. Scott in all caps. So Hunt to Eat, 20% off. Let's get right to the episode with Giannis Patelis. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today I have a very good friend of mine, Giannis Patelis. Uh, I first met Giannis up in the Vail Valley. Uh, we, Gene and I fished with Giannis for, oh, four, five, six years. And um, we usually fish once or twice a week. And um, Giannis taught me a lot about fishing and um Taught me a lot about rowing, even though I wasn't rowing then. I got to watch him row a lot and uh, picked up a lot of pointers from this guy, and I'm anxious to talk to him today. I'm proud of Giannis. Um, Giannis used to uh, guide with Dara and I, and uh, he quickly left us behind and uh, has catapulted his way uh, to being the uh, producer at the Meat Eater and um, with Steve Ranella. And uh, just proud of all of his accomplishments. He's a heck of a hunter. He's a phenomenal fisherman. And uh, happy to have him on the show today. Giannis, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. That is quite the intro. Um, <laughs> don't know if I'll be able to live up to that, but I, I appreciate it. And thank you for all the support over the years because all that catapulting um, can't be done on you know, by, by just yourself a lot of times. So without you and Dar and other folks pushing me along, wouldn't be here. So, well, I mean, once you're hanging out with the uh, Colburn and Scott outfitters, I mean, you have the anywhere, but I mean, all you have is upside from there. Totally. You just, you don't know who's going to call you next. The governor, <laughs> president, you know, <laughs> Uh, if you're hanging out with Jay and Dar, you've got a lot of room to, to move forward for sure. Um, no, buddy, it's been awesome uh, watching your success with the Meat Eater and uh, watching you uh, fall into place there and, and uh, just hit the ground running. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about 
you know, you went from, well, why don't you tell me how you, st- how you met uh, Steve Ranella and how your first gig went there and then uh, what you're doing now? Um, I met Steve through a common uh, friend. He's actually married to uh, a high school friend of mine, a gal that I went to uh, high school with. And so I think it, it was kind of a perfect storm because between his wife using me as her really only hunting reference, and so when she wanted to get in on a hunting conversation, she'd say, yeah, I used to know this, or I know this. Latvian guy lives out in Colorado and guides. And uh, then I think you guys, what hunt did you guys do with Steve? Was it Gould or was he, it a coos that you guys helped him out with and met him first time? No, he came down and hunted Goulds and Buffalo. And um, so we kind of hit it off. Uh, Dar and I, uh, uh, he came down and hunted on one of our ranches in Mexico. Um, and then I think at that point you guys had moved to uh, Alaska. Yeah. And so I think you guys had dropped my name there too. So I, I, my name was just kind of in his brain at that point. And then uh, I think you posted, a, put a picture of me glassing some Colorado high country and uh, in Western Hunter. And he saw that and uh, he took it as a sign and uh, contact, <laughs> contacted me. And um, somehow I knew that he had a toke sheep tag that year in 2012, and uh, I was living in Fairbanks, just a couple hours away from from that unit in Alaska. And so I said, "Hey, man, I'd love to come along. You know, I just want to go for a flight in a small airplane into some Alaska backcountry and you know see what sheep hunting's all about." And um, he's like, "For sure, come along, man. You know, you can carry a few things, and we'll have a grand time." And uh, so yeah, we made the plans, and um, I read everything I could in the next you know thirty days or whatever it was about doll sheep hunting, and rolled in there fired up. And uh, Dan Doty, who was the uh, producer at the time, uh, said, "Hey, fill out this paperwork." And I'm like, "Paperwork?" He said, "No, I'm just here. I'm just here to ride the wave, you know, see what this is all about, have some fun." He said, "No, you're working." And I uh, said, all right, that sounds good. You know, paid vacation. You know, I'll get paid to go sheep hunting. And uh, <laughs> and uh, so I filled out my first uh, 0.0 paperwork uh, that day. And um, as they say, the rest is history. Yeah, and uh, you guys had a good hunt, if I remember, a pretty good adventure. And Steve got a really nice ram, and, and you guys got to eat some doll sheep. Uh, meet up on the mountain yeah you know you hate to say it and we're all mature enough hunters to know that you you take the easy ones but it was almost too easy and it you know because we were successful on the first day you know we got kicked basically kicked out of sheep country you know sooner than we would have liked to have you know it would have been nice to run those ridges and you know just be able to look around the next corner at least for a couple days you know before we had to boogie but you know once we killed that ram it was warm and so we had to get the meat out and um that was that so it, it, early success it was nice but at the same time it was bittersweet because we uh we didn't really get to do, do too much tromping around Giannis, what was that about three years ago how long it was ago august was that? 2012 okay Okay, so it'll be three years coming up here. Um, and since then, uh, you guys have been basically all over the globe. Um, Bolivia, 
Um, give me some of the cool spots that you guys have been um, since then. Oh, man. Um, cool spots. Uh, Bolivia, it, it was cool. It was an experience. Um, it's not like a place I'm just recommending everybody go to. Um, I, after that trip to the jungle, to the to a hot, humid jungle, I realized that you know I'm, I'm a mountain kid at heart, and I like the the uh weather and and the temperature of the mountains you know and the climate humidity isn't your best friend man it, it was just tough, tough <laughs> i mean middle of the night you know at the coolest point of the night you're still laying on top of your sleeping bag you know not quite sweating but definitely not dry and um it was pretty uncomfortable so it was an experience i'm glad i did it but uh i'm not raring to go back uh but but while while we're still on Bolivia, um, being a fisherman, you guys were down there uh, gonna fish for those um, yellow belly dorado. I mean, aren't they just beautiful yellow? And turned out you got up river or something in huge rains and it all muddied up, so it wasn't quite what you were hoping for, right? No, no, it was yeah, it was a bummer because you know you, we'd seen and that's fishing, you know, it's fishing conditions, but you know we had seen how on video how good it could be, you know, clear water sight fishing for these giant golden dorado and they do have some big ones and unfortunately it just rained every day and we watched you know massive you know red mud slides you know right in front of our eyes hitting the water <laughs> you know when you see that you're like yeah it ain't gonna clear anytime soon um yeah we were still able to catch those fish on bait i caught one that was maybe i don't know i think it was a sub 10 pounder but steve caught a a toad that was, I think, you know, near 15 or something like that. I mean, it was a, just a giant, giant fish and, you know, a lot of fight. What kind of, what kind of fight did those jokers have? I mean, did they jump a lot or was it a big tug or what big long runs or what was it? You know, I caught mine on some pretty heavy duty tackle and, um, I had no idea what I had on. I think he did jump one time, but as soon as I had that fish on, um, you know, I'm on the production crew, so it's not like I have a bunch of time to be hanging around fishing. And so I was going to land this fish, whatever it was, giant catfish Dorado. And so I just, you know, stuck my rod tip down and just started reeling, not on a fly rod, you know, just on a, uh, a bait caster. And, uh, I think he jumped once, but I manhandled him pretty easily because I was uh, maybe a little overgunned. I think Steve caught his on a little bit lighter tackle and, um, you know, it, I wouldn't say it had a bunch of great runs, maybe one big run, definitely some good tugging, but definitely some good jumps, you know, from, from a from a big fish like that. So I could see how, you know, casting big giant flies on in clear water to a fish like that would be nothing short of spectacular, you know. And they've got these giant catfish called Cerubi, I believe, that also sit in the riffles that when the water's clear, you can sight fish to. And, um... I don't think that fish would be any less fun to catch, you know. Did they make it sound like when the water's clear that those fish are, are spooky or are they very predatorial and when something hits the water, they're coming to check it out? Um, I think it just come down to, you know, how many times those fish have seen flies. I think, you know, they were fishing some fairly uncharted waters and, um, you know, those fish just hadn't seen a lot of pressure. And so I don't think they had to be too sneaky. Um, but I think that, you know, after you catch and release, you know, a fish like that that's been around the block a few times, I'm sure you'd have to start, you know, being a little trickier. 
what other places have you guys been to that are kind of wild places um, since you've been with the meat eater? Um, Sonora, Mexico with uh, Jay Scott is pretty wild. <laughs> that, it can get western in a hurry, can it? Um, you know, British Columbia and Alaska are probably the the next like bigger adventures. And um, you know, every time I go to Alaska, whether it's southeast, even just to Steve's cabin, I have to kind of pinch myself to be like, wow, here I am again. Um, because you know, short three years ago, I had knew nothing about Alaska, and it was just kind of this. Uh, you know, just a dream in my head. And, you know, now I've been back, I don't know how many times, you know, still less than 10, but a, a few. And uh, that place is just sweet, man. It's just it's just packed full of adventure. And um, there's a lot of stuff to be explored there. And the same thing with BC, you know, we went when we went up there to uh, hunt for grizzly bear. Um, it's, you just feel like you're kind of getting into some country that's just a little bit bigger and a little more wild than what you normally find in the, in the lower 48, you know, I'm sure like the Bob here in Montana has probably got that feeling in the, uh, Frank church wilderness over in Idaho. But, you know, for the most part down here, you just don't get that kind of super vast expansive feeling that you get from Alaska and BC and no more so than in the Brooks range. Um, uh, we've been there, uh, twice now. And, um, that's probably one of the places that is on my list of when this is all said and done that I'm going to go back to, you know, with friends or with family for sure. And I don't know to hunt what, whether it be a sheep or to caribou or maybe just to go on a, you know, raft trip and uh, catch fish. But it's, uh, it's sweet and it's wild. Where was the trip where you got, uh, where a grizzly bear chased you or whatever? Uh, that was, uh, British Columbia. And tell me that, tell me that story. <laughs> it wasn't quite. Weren't you like thrown out as bait? Like Steve said, Giannis, you stay here by all the like raw meat and no, we'll see if no. you're alive in the morning. We, we couldn't make it into a story like that. I, <laughs> more excited. I wasn't chased and I was the, whether you can call it like a real charge Giannis, we're going for ratings here. You were chased for how long, and he was baring his teeth, yeah. right? I did what you're not supposed to do, and I ran as fast as I could. But luckily, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a long-legged son of a gun, so I actually, yes, actually gained ground. No, what happened is we had just gotten into the mountains. I mean, literally an hour into um, – we had hiked maybe three miles, two miles, and we got into a basin that opened up, and we started glassing, and – immediately found a sow grizzly with three cubs and at the same time one of our cameras uh went down and like what do you mean it just shut off just shut blue, down. blue screen yeah. okay it was like we couldn't figure it out and um so we needed to replace it quickly and so uh we just made a big pile of gear and those guys were just going to hang out and keep watching the bear and you know look for a campsite and i just took the broken camera and, and basically turned around and hiked back to the truck Swapped cameras, came back, and um, and uh, got back to the meadow where the all of our gear was just piled up, and uh, those guys had moved off somewhere. I, you know, at that time I didn't know what they were doing. What they were doing is they were had gone up above because they had lost sight of the grizzly, and so they wanted just to kind of keep an eyeball on her, just to make you know 
make sure she was, you know, leaving and not coming closer. And um, so I just get there and, and I'm settling in after, a, you know, another nice four mile tour and have a drink of water, put my puffy back on. And just by the time I wanted to sit down and uh, start doing a little glass and, and see what kind of critters are, you know, cruising around. Um, right above me, I hear, hey, 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 boom, you know, gunshot goes off. And, you know, when you hear that in that country, <laughs> you know immediately what's going on. So I sprang to my feet, pulled my bear spray off my hip and I uh, look up the hill and I mean, it was instantaneous. I look up the hill and I can see the sow grizzly coming down the mountain, um, not a mountain, coming down a hill, I should say. She's probably two to 300 yards from me at that point. And she's just mowing down these like four to 10 foot pine trees. I mean, they're just like, just falling in front of her. She just, she's not turning around any trees. She's just mowing them over. And right behind her, I'll never forget. It just looked like she had these like three little miniature brown blobs, just like tethered, you know, to her rear end, you know, just by a couple of inches. And those were the three cubs, you know, and she's coming right down the hill and, at that point, she doesn't know I'm down there, you know, and so I'm like in the middle of the meadow, waving my arms, talking, just being loud to let her know that I'm there, and uh, she makes it about halfway down. She stops, and she gets up on her hind legs, so I think she can see over the those little pines in there, and, um, and they actually probably weren't pines. They are fir trees, but... Uh, She's like looking and she kind of does a scan of the area and I'm thinking, perfect, she's going to see me and she's already been spooked. You know, she's just going to bail off the side of the hill and go away from me. Well, she like does her little scan and pretty much it, what it looks like locks eyes with me and then draws a chalk line between the two of us and just gets back on all fours and continues her, you know, fast paced right at me. I'm thinking, man, that's not that's not <laughs> the result. how far away that's is she? The result you want, and so she's how far, Giannis, in closing? Now she's I don't know 150 in closing. Well, she does the same thing again. She stops, she stands up, she kind of scans, sees me, and keeps coming right at me. And now she's at the base of the hill, so she's at the meadow, pretty much dead even with me. And uh, or like height wise, she's kind of come off the hill. And now she's at maybe 75 yards. She does it again. So I get to see her in her full glory, standing on her hind legs with her three little cubs. Like I said, just tucked in right behind her. And I'm still waving my arms and talking to her and, you know, just letting her know that, uh, you know, it's the Latvian lover here. I'm not a fighter. I don't, you know. Don't. You don't have enough meat on your bones to make a meal. <laughs> totally. It ain't, it ain't worth your time. And, um she uh again doesn't do what I'm wanting her to do and she pretty much at that point you know I want to say it was 10 yards it might have been 20 or 30 when you have a you know grizzly bear bearing down on you it's hard to uh to really gauge that distance but I remember having a rock ahead of me that was 10 about 10 yards and I, I knew that if she hit that rock that's when I was going to start spraying the bear spray um and it seemed like when she was very close to that rock where I was like putting the pressure on that trigger on that bear spray, she veered off and then went on, you know, basically went across the creek and up, you know, up the other side of the mountain and out of the basin. We saw her cross over the high ridge, you know, maybe five, ten minutes later. Um, 
And then what? Ranella pops out of the trees yeah, he, and is laughing, or he what? He pops out of the trees and is like, "Man, I was I was already start digging through your gear. You're like, <laughs> but no, it's definitely uh, it's a moment that uh, makes you check yourself, you know. And uh, I'm sure I'm sure you had to check your shorts. Did you? Uh, surely you filmed all of that. Well, I wasn't running a camera at the time, and so those guys got the footage um, of them getting charged because she did charge them. So, like I was saying, I don't know if I can call that a charge on me because it was she was like just running away from them in my direction, and then I happened to be, you know, in her line of travel. And at some point, she decided that yes, she was maybe going to eliminate me as a as a threat, and then she changed her mind. At least that's what I play out in my head every time. But, um, yeah, unfortunately we did not get all that, but, uh, it's all right. Cause the, the, the image is burned into my head forever. I'm sure you'll never forget that. Giannis, the meat eater is, um, consistently at the top of the sportsman's channel as, um, the best, uh, outdoor, uh, television show. Um, obviously Steve is a incredible host, um, Talking specifically about Steve, uh, does he follow the script much, or is a lot of what he does ad lib? Oh, it's all ad lib. Okay, um, so there's not necessarily a script. He just rolls no. with it, whatever, whatever's shaking. I, I mean, we have a little powwow before each episode, and you know, we we kind of talk creatively about you know what we foresee that you know the episode being and what's going to come out of it. Um, but rarely, you know, it's just like, it's life, you know, you're just kind of there just trying to capture it and, uh, hope for the best. Um, every now and then, you know, we might have to, uh, recreate say just like, you know, three words or a half a sentence. But when you ask someone to recreate a whole sentence or worse yet, two or three or like a whole action, um, we feel like it's just, we feel like the viewers immediately pick up on that and we're, we're not into that. So that's why we have just super highly trained and, and qualified, um, camera guys that they just don't miss a beat really, you know, cause it, cause in, at least for us, you know, and, and for a lot of the production world, like they say, if it didn't happen on camera, it did not happen. And so, these guys are just always ready to capture, you know, any sort of action that might happen. And um, just as importantly, any sort of uh, dialogue that we might get out of Steve or, uh, you know, one of our guests. I think um, having hunted with Steve, um, you know, a couple times and having hunted with you, one of the interesting things, um, people ask me, you know, what is Steve like when the camera's not on? And I always say he seems just like he is when the camera's on. And I think, in your opinion, is that one of the reasons why the show is so successful? Is that, uh, you know, Steve just acts like himself and, you know, what you see on camera is, is the way he is in everyday life? Yeah. Yeah. And do you think that's that's a good reason for the success of the show is that, you know, you've got a host that, you know, knows how to hunt. Uh, you know, this isn't a guy that, you know, doesn't know how to skin things and quarter things. And, you know, I mean, he's the real deal. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. 
Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for the success, but certainly Steve's, uh, um, yeah, just, he's a guy that just likes to do it on his own, and it's not just like a DIY kind of a hunter. I mean, he takes that um, that uh, approach to, you know, just about everything in life, you know, it's and he's often like, He's right there with us in the crew with, like, if something breaks or goes down, cameras, he's not going to mess around with those. He, he, he'll admit that, like, for that kind of electronic stuff, like, he, uh, he'll ask, ask for help. But if it's like a, you know, I'm just trying to think of a good example, you know. Um, if, you mean like if a flat tire or something, yeah, he's exactly. out there changing like, the tire? He's going to yeah. change it as fast or as good as anybody or – you know, if you get a backpack, you know, that rips apart, like he'll be the one that pulls out the speedy stitcher or the, you know, giant needle in the, in the, you know, dental floss and is going to stitch it right up. And, you know, like he's just handy, you know, and that's kind of what attracted me to him in the beginning was that like, you know, he had that background of a lot more trapping, a lot more fishing and just a, uh, more a broader kind of an outdoor hunter, um, you know, upbringing than I did, you know, and I was impressed by that, that like, like I said, when we got into a pickle, sometimes he'd be right in there, you know, with us, you know, figuring out how we're going to get out of it. Somewhat of a MacGyver type of a guy. Totally. Yeah. Um, what are some of the funnest trips that you guys have been on where you guys, you know, had some really fun times and then maybe um contrast that with um you know maybe a couple trips where you just had circumstances whatever may be uh you know make it really really tough Mm. tough for us usually comes from moisture and rain so anytime you see a rainy episode with us um like that one we did with uh joe rogan and brian callen uh on prince of wales island last fall where it rained, you know, 90% of the time we were there and uh, not just a little, but a lot. Uh, it makes it very hard on the equipment. Like have you guys ever gotten in any hairy situations hiking like glaciers or, or cliff lines or has anybody fallen or any any crazy not, stuff happened? Not really. Now we have a crew that's it's all pretty strong and um, maybe not everybody is like a mountain hunter in the in the group, but we have – guys that are, you know, used to be professional extreme snowboarders that have, you know, climbed all sorts of big peaks all over the world and snowboarded down them. And so that, that, that experience in the mountains can easily translate into, you know, you know, doing well on a hunting trip in the mountains because it's, you know, the mountains not, you know, changing what it's throwing at you just because you're, you know, whether you're hunting or you're snowboarding, you know, you still got to deal with the mountain. Um, sure. So, yeah, it's just a strong crew that makes good decisions, you know, and we, you know, try to keep everybody in check to not get, you know, caught out in, in some of a bad, you know, a bad spot. It's just not worth it, you know, to, to get caught like that. So we, uh, we, we try to keep it on the safe side. Well, that's good. Um, tell me about this new book that you guys have been working on. Um, I know you guys have put an unbelievable amount of time in it. Um, and I can't wait to see it. Um, tell me a little bit about it. Um, it's called The Complete Guide to Hunting, Butchering, and Cooking Wild Game. And 
it got to be such an enormous project that we actually cut it into two volumes. So volume one is big game, volume two is small game, um, and small game includes waterfowl, turkey. And um, it's a cool thing, man. I mean, we've been working on it pretty much since I started working with uh, Meat Eater, which was, like I said, 2012 fall. So we, we've been at it for, you know, two and a half, three years. And uh, it's it's finally come together and it's sweet to see. But it's um very comprehensive, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, we, we'd like to, you'd like to say that, but I almost feel like our, you know, the topic of hunting is so broad and so deep that it's you'd have to put out in a whole set of you know and like an encyclopedia you know to really say comprehensive about you know what we do and what we talk about um but i'd say definitely from like a beginner's viewpoint you could um call it comprehensive i feel that like someone that's you know never a never ever could certainly read this and get a lot out of it and think, man, you know, I'm, I'm actually feeling fairly armed and ready. But there's also enough just interesting stuff in there and enough stuff from that, uh, like, for instance, what you and Dar weighed in on, you know, desert bighorn sheep hunting. There's a lot of people out there that are great elk hunters that maybe don't know anything about desert bighorn sheep hunting. And so, you know, even experienced hunters, I think, will find – you know, the the stuff that came from, you know, uh, from a more experienced, you know, viewpoint, they're going to find that interesting. So I'm hoping it's for everybody. And then, of course, there's the 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 butchering section, which is uh, it's I always feel you can always learn something new about butchering. And then uh, the recipes in there at the end are uh, are all great. So it's uh there's a lot in there. That's for sure. You can't deny that. There's a lot of just, uh, it's a wealth of knowledge and uh, it'll be something you can just kind of keep around and, uh, you know, there'll be a good, I don't want to call it a coffee table book, but um, it, it would it would definitely earn its spot at a coffee table if you were to choose to put it there, you know. When do you expect that to be released, Jonas? It's August when it's coming out. So I think you can pre-order now on Amazon. Um, and I want to say August 12th is the date. Don't quote me on it, but I want to say August 12th is when the volume one is due out. You know, when you were talking about the book, one of the things that struck me as, as and I hadn't really thought about it until you just started um, talking about the book, but one of the things that I think that makes you such a great fit with the Meat Eater crew and being a producer of the Meat Eater show is um, I've known you for a long time and you've always been into cooking wild game. I mean, that's, um, you know, there's people that just hunt and there's people that hunt and they eat what they, you know, what they shoot, but you, you, you kind of, you like to cook and you like to, um, work up new recipes and you like to make, uh, I've just known you long enough. Um, so it kind of dawned on me that, man, you are a perfect fit for the meat eater. Yeah, we had a few fishing trips where I think we ate like, uh, you know, roast elk sandwiches and maybe some elk jerky on the during the fishing trip. Where do you where does that come from with with your upbringing and and with um you know your own personal hunting? Did ha, have you always been into that or or is that something that you just acquired to you know you just wanted to start uh, uh, figuring out how to how to cook wild game or have you always been fascinated with it? Um. 
I don't want to say always been fascinated with it, but I do remember, and um, I was talking to a guy about it recently, that when we, the, the I grew up hunting and basically hunting deer in Michigan and Wisconsin, and we'd hunt each state with our, you know, with uh, rifles or shotguns um, for about three, maybe four days, and then I would spend some time bow hunting in Michigan too, but Basically, you know, my, you know, growing up, I would hunt a total of, you know, six days, you know, three with a rifle in Wisconsin, three in Michigan. And I remember going to the Wisconsin deer camp and it was a little bit of a bigger to do because we had to drive, you know, seven hours from Michigan. And, you know, at the heyday, there was probably 20 plus hunters there. And I remember when I got old enough to start thinking about what we were going to be making for the food, I remember being like, hey, we're here killing deer how come we're not eating deer you know like we would always eat like a you know the uh inner tenderloins on you know saturday night after the first day of hunting but other than that it was like the only game that was served and uh i remember kind of bringing that to um some guy's attention and from there on out we kind of sort of you know started eating more you know the deer you know at camp you know, we're bringing, you know, last year's deer, whether it was in chili or, you know, steaks or whatever. Um, and then I spent three years in the kitchen uh, when I first moved to Colorado working as a line cook. So, Giannis, with cooking that you, you like to cook wild game, Ranella likes to cook wild game. Uh, one thing that the listeners might not know about you is um, you, you lived in the Vale or actually the Minturn, Colorado uh, area for quite a while and um, you really became uh, fascinated and really enjoyed uh, archery elk hunting and elk hunting in general. Um, talk to me a little bit about your love for elk hunting in the mountains. Man, um, there's nothing better. And I'll tell you one thing that really just chaps me and burns me is that last year, which was 2014 fall, was the first year since probably 99 that I did not kill an elk. And normally I would kill two elk, uh, sometimes three if I could hunt multiple states. But, you know, in Colorado we could kill a cow and a bull or, or two cows. Um, but... Uh, that's, I guess, what happens sometimes when uh, when you make the big time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, we moved last year, and that really cut into my uh, cut into my hunting time. But um, no, I think the, my love for it um, it definitely. I went on a um, a like a drop camp hunt, and then was semi guided on the last day by the outfitter uh, back in '99 when I killed my first bull and. Uh, had a great experience there, and then I was hired on to work at that camp the following fall, and then I really got to, pretty much my gig there was like, I was ordered to go out in the dark in the morning and go cruise around and learn the country and learn about elk, and then I was due back for breakfast, and then I would pretty much do manual labor all day long, and then I was basically kicked out again at, you know, 4 p.m. to go go and repeat my elk rounds and um I just, and was that basically to tell the outfitter where where you found elk no or? no no that was just basically that was his way of um of teaching me you know what, oh, I, gotcha. what I needed to know and, and and I just you know learning the country and I feel like that's as important as anything um to a hunter's success especially you know really any kind of hunting probably but for elk hunting for me for sure 
Um, like the more I know a chunk of woods or a, a mountain or whatever it might be, the more success I have there. Um, you just know the lay of the land, you know all the dips, you know where to be looking, you know what the wind's commonly doing, and then also you know what the animals are doing in that certain area often. So you always know like once you see them there twice, you know, you're probably going to see them there again. And um, so anyway, so you, saw, you started developing a pattern and seeing a pattern in the animals. Yeah, but more than more than that, but knowing that, you know, knowing your country and knowing where the trails connect and, um, you know, in Colorado, oftentimes it's not as it's not quite open enough to where you can be just glassing up animals all the time. And so you have to dive into the timber and dive into the quakies and just go still hunt around and and know you know where each trail leads and if you don't find elk you know one spot where you might where you could be a half an hour later to you know find some elk um but um i just don't i just feel like a lot of times people don't uh spend enough time just uh getting to know their you know their little elk spot you know eventually someone says oh it's my honey hole well it's someone's honey hole because they learned it you know they like they when they say honey hole it's not just because they went there every single time and killed an elk they've been there a gazillion times and they know that you know that place produces but they know that place produces because of all that experience and you know time put into a spot but I was going to get back to my love for elk hunting. I think one of the things that really kicked it off was that hunting back in the Midwest, we always, you know, you sat tree stands and we sat in blinds and you just sit all day long. And my dad was, when we started hunting together, he was into getting into the woods like two hours before, you know, the crack of light. And so you're looking at like a 12, 13 hour day, you know, starting at, you know, five o'clock in the morning, sitting until daylight at seven and sitting until, you know, 5 p.m. dark comes, um, it's a lot of sitting. And so when I started elk hunting and people are just like, yeah, man, just go out there and put the wind in your face and go roam around, you know, and you'll get into elk. Um, that freedom and that, like, different style, like, that's what really I was like, man, this is awesome. You know, I don't have to just sit all day long anymore. I can cruise the mountains. And um, I like that. So... What, now, and you came down for a couple of years and guided with Dara and I in Arizona. Um, what do you think of Arizona elk hunting compared to what you had seen in other states? Oh, man, totally different animal. I mean, a lot of similarities, but, you know, you guys definitely brought me to a different, I don't want to say next, but definitely to a different level of elk hunting. And it was um, it was an eye-opener because, I mean, the biggest thing was – you know, the use of optics, um, the use of tripods with your optics. Um, and again, just, you know, sitting and taking the time to glass. Um, that was, it was amazing. Um, you know, just like you learn about what, how much that does for you, just sitting around glassing, um, letting, you know, your eyes do the walking versus your legs. And then you just think back to, you know, the previous 12 years of, of elk hunting and I was thinking man I could have been sitting on that mountainside and at least glassing a couple of those meadows you know and seeing what those elk were doing you know popping out you know instead of just cruising around so much so that was probably the biggest difference you know I'd say is that I just really learned to go optics heavy with you guys um 
But Arizona is sweet, and we, you know, we had a sweet thing going there because we were guiding in some of the best units in Arizona, and so it obviously has the biggest bulls and probably some of the better calling I think that Arizona has to offer, and uh, that's just sweet, you know. I mean, I don't want to recommend everybody goes down there <laughs> see what the calling's like, but um, it's uh, when you get into some of those. Um, you know, meatballs of, of buglers <laughs> just ripping, and you can real when you get in there, it's almost just like you can't you can't can't keep up with how many bulls that you've called by you, you know, and like you start seeing the the younger five points, and it's like you don't even like you look at them like it's a cow, you know, you're just like, all right, get out of here, keep moving, because that next gurgling bull over there, that's the one we want to go see now, and. um it's pretty fun, you know, when it's all said and done, it's noon and you're just sitting there in the shade of one of those junipers, uh, you're like, wow, you know, <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> yeah. Whether, and, and Whether you kill one or not, it's, uh, it's fun. I think one of the cool things, too, is there's a lot of elk, but the terrain is not, uh, you know, it's not very physical. And so you can usually move around to several different spots uh, in a morning, whereas maybe in Montana or Colorado or Idaho or what have you, where, you know, you've got big steep drainages and you may hear a bull bugling way across the canyon, but it may take you two hours to get to them. In Arizona, you know, you can run and gun and, you know, be over here and be a mile over there and a mile over there, you know, within a morning. And, and uh, you know, I think for me, that's what makes it so fun is you can see so many elk and hear so many elk uh, in, in one outing. Um, you were fortunate to, uh, guide for some really nice bulls, uh, uh, before you became the producer at the meat eater. And, uh, we had fun, uh, uh, having you around and we had fun, uh, you know, knowing we, we were proud knowing that, uh, you're a great guide and you, you got some great bulls for, for your clients and, um, it was, it was fun while it lasted. Oh, um, I still miss those days, you know? People ask me if I'd ever go back to guiding, and, you know, I definitely would, man. I mean, we always just had a lot of laughs and just good times and, uh, you know, as much adventure and challenge, you know, as I have at my current job, you know, we, we get it, you know, guiding as well. Absolutely. Giannis, um, I want to shift gears a little bit. Uh, uh, the Meat Eater podcast has been very successful on iTunes, and I, I really enjoy it. And um you guys actually came down to Arizona and did an episode with Dara and I that will air later this summer. Um, but tell me about the podcast and, and a little bit how it just um, has taken shape and, um, you know, listening to you and Steve kind of back and forth uh, uh, is, is hilarious. Uh, I don't even necessarily think you guys are trying to be funny, but it just cracks me up. And I don't, I don't know if it's because I know both of you or – but everybody I talk to loves the Meat Eater podcast. Tell me a little bit about that. Um, yeah, it's uh, the success of it has been a, a little bewildering, I guess, because uh, it was just something we decided to basically try and uh, just kind of throw it at the wall to see if it sticks. And um, obviously it has, and uh, you know we're getting great feedback from it. A lot of times, you know, a lot of the comments we get are, that people actually enjoy it even more than the show because you're just getting a little bit more Steve and a, a little, there's just more time to 
you know, let it all come out and, and let it all breathe and, um, you know, really dive in. That's the hard part. A lot of times with our, with the show is that we take, you know, a week of hunting and talking and, and dialogue and we compress it to 22 minutes and you just really can't fit it all in. And that's the harsh reality. It's a bummer. Um, but uh, with the podcast, you know, we sit down for an hour and everything that we talk about, you know, comes out, whether it's an hour or 90 minutes. Um, and, um, yeah, it's funny that, you even, that people even think that I'm on the podcast because I feel like for the average mediator podcast, I say about 10 words. So, so <laughs> it must be a powerful 10 words. <laughs> but, uh yeah, I let Steve do most of the talking, and um, you know, if uh, if I need to wrangle him in, then uh, I try to. But uh, that's a uh, that's a tall order there. Yeah. Yeah. Every once in a while, you need to corral him a little bit. I I hear you trying to do it, and then sometimes he just continues and goes right on, and that cracks me up even more. <laughs> when you try and say, "Well, we need to take a break," and he just keeps right on going, I love it. Yeah. Um, so no, it's fun, you know, and and I enjoy the heck out of it because when we sit down for a podcast, um, you know, you're guaranteed to learn something and uh, and, and usually be entertained as well. And um, you you know, everybody that we sat down with thus far, they're just great people, you know. So it's always nice to meet more great people in the world. Absolutely. Well, Giannis, it's been awesome having you on with me this morning. And um, you have you gotten out uh, at all? And you live in Bozeman, Montana now. Have you gotten out fishing, or do you have any plans to do any fishing this summer with the kids or anything? Is there fishing here? <laughs> what a turkey! I, I didn't even. Is, is there are there some rivers to fish around here? You want to talk about a guy that used to just live and breathe fishing, and now now a twenty five inch brown trout could be outside his window, and he wouldn't even stop and look at it. No, um, I do have some plans. We're actually going to go do some family camping this weekend, and um, I'm planning on throwing uh, probably both a fly rod and a little spin and tackle rig in my in the truck. And um, I, we did go fishing with the kids uh, on the lower Yellowstone, um, not for trout, but for um, kind of a mixed bag of uh, sauger, walleye, pike, a lot of smallies, um, actually with the uh, with the Renella crew. And uh, we had a lot of fun there doing that. So, no, it's definitely on the radar, but um, I've got two young kids, and so some things have had to just been cut from my um, – you know, list of fun activities I like to do. And so fly fishing just has been, uh, been one of them. So I'll be, I'll be back at it. I promise, promise you, especially if you come up here, are you going to come up here and come float the Yellowstone? I might have to do that. I I know that last summer when you were passing through, we were in Jackson Hole the month of August and you passed through, um, stayed with us a night and we actually, uh, fished and, uh, it was fun. We, we fished the upper snake, um, we we put in at Pacific Creek and and floated down to uh, Moose and um, uh, actually flo- floated down to Dead Man's I think but um, it was awesome getting to actually row and let you fish and you know um, watching you cast and be spot on with all you know we were fishing big dries and it was fun watching you um, you know 
kind of reverse roles where you used to row and I used to fish and getting to row and watching you fish was a lot of fun when you, you caught some nice fish and, and that was definitely something that, uh, made my uh, summer last year watching you catch all those fish and, and having Gene in the boat and just kind of the three amigos back, back, uh, back in action. That was a lot of fun and maybe we'll have to uh, do that again. Um, well, buddy, it's been awesome. Um, I was going to say, though, real quick, a note on that trip. It was awkward for me, one, to have you back there rowing and telling me where to cast. <laughs> Bossing <laughs> you around the whole time. But uh, all those fish that we caught, you know, we have pictures of, and I'll remember them. But the one that burns into my mind, <laughs> and I cannot forget it, is that big old yellow slab that came out of that side channel. You had positioned me just right above that little island, and I was able to, you know, put like a downstream presentation down this side channel. Just fed a bunch of slack line in there, and there was like an overhanging tree, and it was just small enough where you really couldn't get the boat in there. And if you did, you know, you probably would have spooked whatever was in there. And right at like the tail out, man, that just big mouth followed by just a big bright yellow side comes up, just fully commits on my fly, and I did not have it in me to give it the old, you know, God bless the queen, and then set the hook. Instead, his mouth was still open, and as I set the hook, I could feel that tip of that hook just scrape along the top of that fish's mouth as it popped loose and he gave me a little kind of a little head shake just to be like yeah buddy see you next time <laughs> yeah and if i remember correctly it took me about a half a mile to quit ribbing you and and quit pouting because you missed that fish and i was uh i can be a little intense at times and you were just laughing about it and i was going did you see the size of that thing and and um, but you did end up catching a really nice one. But it's it, it was a fun fun day for sure. And catching those cutthroat up there on the Snake River is is always fun. And and um, scenery scenery is not bad either when you're floating down that river. Yeah, for sure with the Tetons there. So that was awesome. Well, buddy, it was awesome. I'm uh, really look forward to maybe doing this again. And um, look forward to hearing the. Uh, Meat Eater podcast uh, with with Dar and I, uh, you, me, and Steve and Dar um, did an episode that'll be fun to listen to, and um, just uh, wanna you know tell you how proud I am of you and and how good a job you've you've done and and the success that you've had is uh, just a, a you know it's you're, you're a great uh, person and I value your friendship and. Uh, just uh, um, really excited that you've um, you know done so well, and uh, look forward to seeing what you guys do in the future. Well, thank you again for all that, and thanks for having me, and uh, thank you for the continued support. And um, yeah, let's definitely do it again uh, sooner than later. All right, buddy, you take care. Tell the girls uh, hello, and um, we'll be chatting at you. Okay. Take care. All right, buddy. Bye. Thanks for listening to the J. Scott Outdoors Western Big Game Hunting and Fishing Podcast brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Use the promo code JSCOTT and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card when signing up for the GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more, go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today.